Live from Alachua, Florida, I'm Amrita Kaley. And I'm Nam Amrita. Welcome to Nectar Talks from the heart of New Raman Reiti, the largest Hare Krishna community in North America and the home of thousands of bhakti yoga practitioners. In our ongoing interviews, we dig deep into our search for loving connections with Krishna and each other. With you, we hope to uncover the real-life stories and inner journeys of our vibrant community of friends and special guests. Like bees searching for nectar, we seek to extract pearls of wisdom from how they live their lives and the lessons they can impart to us and our listeners. If you're seeking nectar, look no further. All right, let's get started. Hare Krishna, everyone. Welcome back to Nectar Talks. This is episode five. And I'm flying solo today. My partner in crime, Amrita Kaley, is on a bit of a maternity leave. She just had a beautiful baby girl, and we are so happy for her. A couple things uh, before we get started. We received uh, some requests of, if there's a an option to hear the shows on audio only. And uh, we are working on a podcast platform. The audio access, however, is currently uh, accessible at alachuatemple.com uh, forward slash radio forward slash. This is a, a nice radio program that's online put together by Mother Sudharma. And you can find the audio recordings there uh, until we do get that podcast platform up and running. Our YouTube channel is up and running, however, so you can check that out. That's Nectar Talks. As usual, you can uh, find our upcoming interviews, which we have several lined up once a month at uh, our Nectar Talks Live Facebook page. Um, we do shoot for the first Wednesday of every month, but uh, just as today, sometimes we have to make a little bit of an adjustment. So that's the best place to find uh, the exact time and date and get reminders is on the Facebook page. All right, so today's special guest is Gaur Shakti Prabhu. Gaur Shakti was born and raised in Krishna consciousness by his parents who are both disciples of Srila Prabhupada. His childhood was spent living in temples where he received his early education through the Gurukula school system in various places, including Vrindavan, India and right here in Alachua. At the time, he was also one of the first youth of this growing community to attend college. And uh, Gaur Shakti has been practicing dentistry now for 16 years, building a successful clinic in Ocala, just about an hour away from here. He's the father of two teenagers and is approaching 20 years of marriage to his one and only girlfriend, Krishna Dhamma. I mean, come on, who can make that claim nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> his services in Prabhupada's movement and to our community have included being a board member at the Krishna House in Gainesville. He's helped organize our local Rathiatras and is a founding member and one of the forces behind the Festival of the Holy Name, a world-renowned program that recently celebrated its 11-year anniversary. And there's many other projects and roles that uh, has played throughout the years, but we'll get more into that a little bit later today. Gora, welcome hey, to the Nam. show. Nam, <laughs> thank you, you. Thanks for having me, brother. It's a pleasure. Thanks for accepting to, uh, to meet with us today. You and I were supposed to have lunch together. What happened? I know. 
life gets busy. And with coronavirus, it's even harder. It's even harder. So let's make this just that, you know, we're just chilling. You and I are hanging out and we're catching up and we're taking our friends along and we we're looking forward to getting to know you a little bit more. So I'm, I'm honored. I'll do my best. All right. <laughs> so Gora, you were born in the Hare Krishna movement or the Bhakti path as it's often called today. And this path of Bhakti while being a very ancient and precious tradition is quite a unique way to view and live one's life, especially in today's modern Western society. How does that simple fact relate to how you view your own spiritual spirituality? And do you sometimes wonder if you would have sought, sought out something so deeply life-changing on your own, hadn't you been born in it? Yeah, absolutely. We, we've talked before about that, Nam, about how fortunate I feel actually to have been born into Krishna consciousness, into a life of surrendering, learning how to surrender one's life in all aspects to Krishna and what that really means, what that means in, 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 in generality and in, in great detail, because you and I were immersed in it, grew up in it. It's just kind of part of our fiber. It's, it's, it's almost what we think of every day as, as far as the deeper questions. What is life about? What am I meant to do with my life? But in relation to Krishna is how we, is how we grew up. And so, yeah, you, you use the word spirituality versus religion and definitely being, uh, being in the thought process of great scholars and yogis who have thought about these questions for thousands of years and have laid down their realizations for us to read about and hear is what we grew up from. And uh, you could say we heard it in the womb even. <laughs> right, right. So of course it's, 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 it's a big part of, of who I am and how I see the world. Mm -hmm. So give us a quick overview of your, your early upbringing and how growing up in ISKCON or the International Society for Krishna Consciousness may have shaped your view on life and how you, how you live it today. Well, I mean, growing up, uh, even though ISKCON nowadays, I, I, uh, it, it's seen or, or, even, even growing up, it was just a small cult, you could say, a small tangent of spiritual growth. And, but in my world, it was the world. ISKCON, or the International Society for Christian Consciousness, was my world. Uh, it was my bubble. I really didn't step out of it very much, except to see my parents' family every now and then. And that was for a very short period of time. Other than that, I stayed with my parents uh, up until age five. And then I was enrolled in a boarding school called the Guru Kula. Uh, my parents always went with me to the sites of these Guru Kulas. So, for example, I, I was born in New York. And the first Guru Kula I enrolled in when I was five years old was in New Vrindavan in West Virginia. And my parents subsequently moved there to enroll me there. And they served at the temple there. And then when they decided to move to Vrindavan, they brought me there and they enrolled me in the school there. So I was fortunate to always have my parents around, even though I was in boarding school. So I felt very secure, uh, very loved uh, by both my parents and therefore was able to, I feel, explore the philosophy, 
the philosophy uh, deeply in these boarding schools with, without much of the baggage. The baggage came maybe later. Right, right. And we'll talk about the baggage in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, there, you know, there, we have some viewers and listeners that are from all around and some of them aren't so familiar with the bhakti practice. You know, relating to you, what are some bhakti principles that are important to you and that you try to apply in your daily life? Well, uh, I love how the introduction to this podcast talks about being the honeybee that is searching for the essence, for the pearls. And that is a term from Bhakti Vinod Thakur, one of our, um, our acharyas, our, our thought leaders in our, in our movement, who use the word saragrahi or essence seeker. And I've always, I've always felt a connection with that principle and from that principle, we can go beyond the rituals, the day-to-day -day practices, and try to really see, well, how does bhakti relate in every aspect of my life? And so, yes, there are certain practices of bhakti that are very important. The first, the first thing is of, of chanting, chanting the holy name of Krishna in a certain way, the Maha Mantra, as probably has been discussed on this podcast many times. And that is the number one way to practice bhakti. And there's reasons for it. I can go into it. Mm -hmm. But those reasons kind of allow us to practice bhakti while I'm driving, allow me to practice bhakti while I'm walking, while I'm running, while I'm going to work, while I'm working on a patient even. Mm -hmm. I can be chanting the Maha Mantra, for instance, in my mind. Right. Um, so, I, I, yeah, if I had to pick one practice, it would be chanting the holy name. That is something that can be done mentally. It can be done out loud, and it, ne and it needs to be done for my own consciousness to be equipped to handle the world these days. I've actually, it's become my meditation in the morning. It's become my... Um, something that I, I go to when I'm stressed or under pressure because it gives me that safety. I feel a shelter from it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, who do you recognize for having given you such an understanding of bhakti yoga and its practice? Is it your parents? Is it, is it the community you grew, you grew up in? Is it your own studies? It's, it's all of it. I mean, I was thinking about that today. And even as I was about to go on this podcast, I get nervous and I'm thinking, well, why am I nervous? It's, they're just talking about me. I don't care about me. And I, and, and in general, I don't care about it so much, although my ego wants to care about it, but it's also, I, I feel like right now I'm representing all my parents, my teachers, my gurus over the years who have taught me who I have asked questions of and if they see this, if they hear about this, it's like I'm representing them. So who have I become? There's a little bit of a pressure uh, to, to honor them. And so, I mean, it starts with my parents, obviously. They were both uh, direct disciples of Srila Prabhupada. And therefore, I learned from Srila Prabhupada's books themselves, uh, reading Krishna book growing up, uh, from my teachers in Gurukul, including His Grace Krumarupa Prabhu and others, my 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 peers i've discussing over the years over and over again philosophy um 
and different devotees in this community who, who I continue to ask questions from uh, regularly. Hmm. So I, I feel, I feel blessed. And, and the ISKCON community has given us so much opportunity to go to festivals and be able to interact with Mahajans, Maharajas who travel around the world preaching and that's all they do. And so I, I feel I've, I've been blessed to have had so many different kinds of bhakti and, and spiritual teachings just thrown at me, given to me, showered on me. Hmm. One of the kind of principles in the tradition of bhakti, and especially growing up in ISKCON, I think we can probably both relate that uh, there's a lot of emphasis put on taking instruction from a guru, uh, and, and more specifically, taking initiation from a guru, where you make certain vows, you know, lifelong vows. Um, and that was pretty standard um, in the early days uh, when most devotees lived in temples. They were, you know, full on monks. What are your views on this today, taking initiation? Um, how, how, how much time do you have? You? <laughs> <laughs> Five minutes. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Um, I will say, as a guru coolie growing up in the movement, initiation is very loaded, very loaded with, with a lot of baggage. Um, it's, it's, it's something I haven't fully resolved yet, I will say. Hmm. And, but getting back to that, why I haven't fully resolved it, I'll get back to that later. But as far as initiation. So you, so you general, don't, you don't have an official guru. I don't have an official or... guru right now. If, if, if I had to say it, I'm just going to, I'm going to say Srila Prabhupada and his disciples. That's right, how right. I'll put it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When, uh, when I was going through college uh, or when I was about to enter college, there was, there was some mm, seeming dissent that I perceived from other community members, from other leaders with my father and that, along with, with other things over the years, just led me to kind of have a little bit of suspicion of the leadership of an institution in general. Uh, and, and yes, with the leadership of ISKCON specifically. And as I explored other devotees' experiences over the years, I realized that it was very varied as far as people's relationship with initiation, and I wasn't the only one. And I, I did look at what does it mean to be initiated outside of ISKCON. Mm -hmm. I did look at what does it mean to be a quote-unquote Ritvik, where I accept Srila Prabhupada as my only guru mm -hmm. and no one else. And I never found, um, at least up to now, I haven't found full harmony or peace with it. Um, I, I do think because I grew up in it, I kind of have this gift in a sense of having all the philosophy given to me. And the initiation process is going to be more formal for me. It definitely needs to be something where I'm, I'm formally committing, kind of like a marriage. I'm taking my girlfriend uh, and, and actually marrying her in front of everybody. So I'm I'm taking this process of Christian consciousness and declaring it to the world that I will from now on follow this process and this process alone. And I just still haven't committed to that yet because right. I do find a lot of 
um, pearls, a lot of pearls of bhakti even in other traditions. Right. It's a nice distinction I think you make too that, um, you know, it's maybe different for someone who, you know, has grown up in the philosophy and practice of Krishna consciousness and you already know so much of, of how, how to practice through so many different gurus actually. And so that, you know, to take initiation is a formality that, you know, you'll do whenever it's appropriate, if you're comfortable. And so, I'm not it. saying I'm doing it the right way. I'm just, this, <laughs> that's just my experience of life. And, right, right. you know, I, I have many gurus who, who uh, I, I would say, I, I, I listen to their lectures a lot. I remember hearing a lecture from Sachinandan Swami that I relate to a lot where he says uh, something to the effect of how we can go, digging for water in different ways. One way is to dig in different places and dig for just a little while at a time, or one way is to stay in one place and just keep digging and eventually you'll hit water. And I found that to be appropriate for me where as much as I've, I've been exploring and have explored other traditions and other philosophies, I keep coming back to Krishna consciousness because it seems to have um, everything. <laughs> it seems to have it all as long as I just keep digging and going deeper and going deeper with it. Right. Right. I want to just get this out of the way now. because I don't want to dwell on, you know, controversial topics and things like that. I want to get to the juice of why you practice bhakti, but um, you know, with regards to this theme of, you know, there's baggage that you deal with having, uh, growing up in Iskand and things like that. Is there anything else that uh, you would share uh, that we could, uh, you know, discuss or elaborate on that, uh, you know, for the sake of highlighting things that we as a community can, uh, can improve on in the future? I mean, I think they've been belabored and they've been talked about so much within our Iskand community. I don't know how much more I'm really bringing to the table. Uh, it starts with me going to Gurukul and and um seeing seeing physical abuse around me and getting out of gurukul and hearing more about sexual abuse which i i did not experience and um having close friends of mine experience that and seeing how the authorities at the time didn't really react to it and didn't really take care of it properly um and, and just seeing that pattern continue in different ways where, you know, in, in, this, in, in Christian consciousness, we talk about um, having Varnashram. Varnashram is a, is a structure for society that allows us to function normally in society. And I don't think we had fully set that up yet. I don't think we still fully set that up yet. I do believe Prabhupada wanted us to set that up in order to function in society. And Part of that is having uh, a more of a, a Kshatriya nature, I would say, more of this uh, managerial uh, mentality that was meant to set the tone for the institution. And early on, that might not have been there. Um, I, I know my, my, my experience of that is through my father. I, I feel like he, he did set the tone when he was there. I respect him a lot for the different mm -hmm. things that he did. And um, I just feel like this guy needs more kshatriyas, more warriors, more, more managers who are willing to who um, make, make things happen.
Yeah, yeah. And I, th I think, you know, there's definitely leaps and bounds that have been achieved over the years since those uh, early Absolutely. mistakes. And, uh, you know, we'll keep on working at it. Um, so I want to get into the topic of the day, which is uh, the Bhakti career balance. And I think you're a, a great example of that. As are um, you. <laughs> thank you. Tell us a little bit about, you know, before we jump into the, the practice and how you connect the two, but tell us about your educational background and uh, how you decided to become a dentist. Well, um, educational background, I did uh, academics in Gurukul and Rindavan and did eighth grade as a correspondence course as we were moving from Rindavan to Alachua and um, finished eighth grade, I think a year early, went into high school a year early at Santa Fe High School right here in Alachua mm -hmm. and uh, was one of the few devotees that went there. We were, I wasn't the first one. I think my friend Samba was one of the first ones to go there. And uh, yeah, I, uh, it was a, quite a culture shock for me to be in a, in a Western school after growing up in Gurukul. And also being Indian, I was a little bit fresh off the boat and uh, it, was, it was tough socially, but I, I made it work. Uh, I had a lot of devotee friends, so I was fine. Mm -hmm. And I ended up being valedictorian or number one in the, uh, my graduating class. And the only reason I mentioned that is I had the guts to uh, give my valedictorian speech and then afterwards say Hare Krishna at the end. I'm still proud of that. <laughs> and uh, after that, I, well, so when I graduated, my father has always been uh, super practical, uh, told me that, you know, I, I got I to gotta get a career to raise a family. And, you know, I did an aptitude test at Santa Fe Community College, and it said that I'd be good at the medical profession. And now his father, my father's father, was a doctor uh, in the military. And so my father said, don't become a doctor. It's, it's, it's a hellish life. Don't become a doctor. But then he told me to become a dentist. And I had no idea about becoming a dentist. I had no uh, desire to do that, no interest in it at all. But my father's telling me to do it. He's giving me logical reasons and it makes sense. And all right, I'll just do it. And so out of high school, they had a seven-year program at, U at the University of Florida in Gainesville, where if you interview at the dental school and you follow certain classes and you get certain grades you're automatically enrolled into dental school after three years of undergrad and mm -hmm. so I jumped on that program and um yeah went went straight through seven years straight out of high school went straight through and graduated dental school at age 24 and that's my education that's and amazing yeah that's so uh I find that admirable somehow that uh you know you just took your father's advice and you you ran with it and uh, I think that was good advice. <laughs> you know, would you say are you any regrets, or are you perfectly happy that you followed followed your dad's people advice? People that on know this? me know that that comes with so much baggage somehow. Like, <laughs> I hate dentistry, and yet it's been so rewarding to me. It's it's right. I'm out there in the real world having to deal with mouths and and ornery people, but it pays the bills and it's good hours. I mean, I can go into it. Over the years, I've struggled at points. I've hated my dad, but overall, I got to be grateful. I mean, right, right. It's the path that I 
it's the path that I was given. It's the path that I took and, and it's, it's, it's been beneficial. So I, I, I can't complain. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, not only are you practicing dentistry, but you're also a great entrepreneur when it comes to your clinic. I mean, from what I have heard of you, you, you've built this up from the ground up and it's, it's developing even more. Can you share a little bit about, you know, people know, okay, a dentist work on teeth, but tell us about the business aspect of it. And, you know, some of the milestones you went through in building your clinic to what it is today, and maybe even some of your vision for the future. Well, that's a great question. Um, when I got out of dental school, all I wanted to do was work for somebody else because the way I had it in my mind is as soon as I clock out, so to speak, then my spiritual life starts. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, I wanted to go, go work, make the living that I needed to, but then be done with it. And then my spiritual life or my, I would even say at the time, my real life would start. And that's when I would, um, work with other friends on village of Vrindavan, on Kuli Mela, on Rathiatras, go to board meetings. And that's what I felt my service was. Mm-hmm. And the whole owning my own practice was, was never really something I wanted to do actually. Again, just like dentistry, I never really wanted to do it. I mean, that, that's been my life anyways. So when uh, the opportunity was presented and, uh, and it's worked out so, so nicely. It, it took a while, but what I noticed, the biggest, the biggest challenge that I noticed is I had to grow as a person because my mindset for the first, those first few years, as I was saying, going in and, and just working and clocking in, clocking out, it's a little bit of a shudra mentality or a mentality of just being a worker. Mm-hmm. And I'll differentiate that from moving up to a vaisya. A Vaisha is a businessman or entrepreneur. And I found that to be a Vaisha took another level of consciousness. I had to be more of a leader. Now I had to care about other people's lives and their families even because they're earning a living through my practice. Right. And I had to take that into consideration. And that started becoming, and it still is, I would say I have a responsibility because now I grew from two employees to uh, 11 employees now. Hmm. And, and besides the employees, there's vendors that I have to interact with and suppliers and constantly, constantly managing things. And I would say having to step up to that plate and become, become that Vaisha and Kshatriya. So the, the, the higher consciousness had to, had to get downloaded within me, or I had to, I had to grow to that level. Otherwise it, I wouldn't have survived. And I, I still find it challenging. I still find it challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what's it like to be a boss? You know, what, <laughs> what are some of the interpersonal skills that uh, have to be applied there? Well, you know, the funny thing is when I first started, people would ask me, so what do you want to do? And I'd be like, well, what do you mean? What do I want to do? How, how is it supposed to be? They said, no, there's no supposed to be. How do you want it to be? And that was the question. I, I was like, ah, wow, I get to choose. And um, that, that, was, that was quite a shock for me. Um, 
I always felt like I only did multiple choice in my life. And at this point, when you become a businessman, uh, an entrepreneur, you can really just, there are opportunity to think outside the box and really market yourself in a different way or do things in a creative way. And so um, that, that is definitely something a boss can do is, is think yeah. of processes, yeah. think of systems that are innovative, that serve the patient, that serve uh, the employees better and just doing it mm-hmm. my own way. So that's been, right. that's been kind of cool. Um, I think that's what helped me stay in dentistry, to be honest, because at one point I was going to quit dentistry and then the opportunity was to open my own business. And at first I was thinking that sounds like more work, but even though it was more work, it's definitely more fulfilling because I'm for the most part doing things my way. So I um, definitely find it much more satisfying. It's much more, the creative juices flow much more and right more planning, more thinking, more communicating with people and interacting with people and getting their ideas and their viewpoints. That's all had to come out of me in order to make it happen. Awesome. That's great how you're, uh, you're using this as a, a personal growth tool, it sounds like. <laughs> it has to be. I mean, right. every, everything we do in, in Christian consciousness, I mean, in life is, is about purifying us ultimately, I think, getting us closer to um, being in Krishna consciousness, no matter what we're doing. Right. And so doing things at our best level, doing things in a, in a sattvic way, um, is, is just what we do as devotees, I think. Right. Right. So you, you said to me once, uh, along those lines that, um, referencing your work, that this is my Kurukshetra. And uh, I thought that was such an amazing and appropriate analogy for us to consider today. Can you elaborate on what makes you say that and perhaps even draw some parallels from the Bhagavad Gita, you know, the preliminary text, uh, scriptural text of India and uh, the battle of Kurukshetra where the scene was set? Well, yeah, I mean, this is, this is exactly what keeps me going every day is I, I, I have to think about the Bhagavad Gita before I start work. <laughs> and the main reason is, is so the Bhagavad Gita is set in the um, right before this major battle, battle of Kurukshetra you're talking about. And the top warrior at the time is Arjuna. He is, he is known to be, number one on both sides. And yet he's having doubts. He's presenting doubts to luckily the Supreme Lord himself, Krishna, and saying, I don't know if I want to do this. And he gives all these really logical reasons that still make sense. But Krishna says, I made you a warrior. In fact, he, he calls him Savyasachin in the Bhagavad Gita, right? Savyasachin means you can shoot an arrow both sides. You can shoot your bow and arrow both ways. You're not just right-handed or left-handed. He was, so, he was ambidextrous when it came to, to archery. So I made you, that's who I made you, Arjuna. I made you Savyasachin. And he says, Nimitta matram bhava Savyasachin, become my instrument. That's Krishna's instruction. And so... I don't know if I'm a dentist instrument, but right now I am. And right now when I go to work, even though 
A lot of times I don't want to be there. A lot of times I don't want to do it, you could say, just for a second. And then I have to talk to myself and remember Krishna's words and realize that I'm doing this um, as a service. I'm doing this as a service to my patients. I'm doing this as a service to my staff members who are earning a living. I'm doing it as a service to my family. And I'm doing this as a service to my deities, Mitagora Chandra. That's who I offer my, my earnings to. And, um, and also the, the community of devotees. So, mm. yeah, that's my yeah. service. Beautiful. There's a, a lot of emphasis in our society that we're a, a preaching movement. Do you mm. consider yourself a preacher? Uh, no, I don't. Um, this is something that I've actually, in, in some ways, struggled with. Mm-hmm. Because growing up, that's what we, I mean, I felt that's what we were supposed to become. We were being molded to become preachers. Right. Um, learning how to chant in the streets, learning how to distribute books, learning the philosophy outright so that we could logically argue with people. Um, that's, that's what I did growing up. And it just never felt right to me. It never felt like that was something I wanted to do. And then there's a couple of reasons for it. I, I, first of all, I don't, my, it isn't in my nature to tell people how to live their lives. I've, um, I've never found myself to be an authority on how to tell somebody else how to live their life. There's so many extenuating circumstances to a situation. Sure. And so I, I listen to people a lot, but I usually don't tell them what to do. Right. And, um, and then the other aspect of preaching is, is I feel like it comes with complete hundred percent confidence of the truth behind it. And I have to be honest, uh, where I'm at, at least amongst the scientific community, when I start talking with about science, it's, it's hard for me to incorporate all of, of Christian consciousness. Hmm. What, in your eyes, what does it mean to make a spiritual contribution to society? Is it only for, you know, the, the higher Krishna's distributing books in the streets, or for that matter, for the Martin Luther King's or the Bhaktivinoda Thakur's of the world. Um, can we all make a spiritual contribution somehow, would you say? Absolutely. I mean, I take refuge in statements such uh, from, from Srila Prabhupada, our founder, or from books, et cetera, that talk about how even if I'm just chanting by myself in my room out loud, I'm purifying the living entities, the bugs that are in the room. I'm purifying the atmosphere. I'm purifying that part of earth. And therefore just me chanting for 15 minutes in my room by myself is spiritually contributing to the world, hundred percent. And so that's the most basic aspect beyond that obviously is, is preaching. I won't, I won't say that preaching is, is something that shouldn't be done at all. I, uh, I do know that, that in our philosophy, it's actually recommended, right? Right in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that the dearest devotee is he who preaches his message. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely um, precedent to become a preacher. I, I guess my preaching style or my contribution, as you said, 
to, uh, to society from a spiritual aspect, in, in, in my opinion, it's for me to be a good example, uh, mm-hmm. a good example of somebody who's balanced, uh, somebody who is uh, firm, firm in my faith, uh, but at the same time, um, open to hearing other people's points of views and, and hearing uh, what their perspective on spirituality is. Mm. I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Gora, sometimes I personally feel overwhelmed at the thought that the responsibility of Srila Prabhupada's movement is getting passed on to us, the next generations. Mm. How do you feel about it? Oh, yeah, no, that, that bothered me for a while. And uh, I won't say it's completely gone, but, you know, I, I did hear years ago that even the ISKCON leadership was kind of giving up on a second generation and already going to the new boxes that were coming in and giving, up, giving them the leadership role. So I was like, okay, we're off the hook. So, uh, <laughs> so that was found a, t- found so a twist actually, on that one. Hearing, hearing that, you know, as, as a young Guru Kuli, I was like, oh, they don't, they don't have faith in us. Oh, I was all upset about it. Now I'm actually relieved by it. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't have to be the one that's actually carrying on the physical institution itself. Um, that's not my job anymore. I used to think it was, you know, I, my dad right, was a GBC. Right. I was going to grow up to be a GBC. That was my goal in life, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in some way, shape or form. Um, but, you know, now, now I see it more as let me lead people to Krishna. And as I see, and I'm seeing it right in front of my eyes, that ISKCON is changing. It's becoming more welcoming. It's becoming more open. Um, I, I want to direct people to come to the Krishna temple. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I recently attended, um, I think it was called... Uh, ISKCON North America 3.0 Strategic Planning, yeah. uh, an amazing, extremely well-organized uh, program. It was all online, and um, it actually gave me a lot of confidence in our future. And um, in this meeting, they defined, because um, it's called ISKCON 3.0, they this, uh, defined ISKCON 1.0 and 2.0 and 3.0 as First, the time when Srila Prabhupada was present, and then the time from when he left the world to the present day, and 3.0 is ISKCON moving forward, which I really liked. Um, What would you say is a unique contribution that your generation, the second generation of Hare Krishna devotees, is best positioned to offer Srila Prabhupada's mission and the Bhakti path moving forward in this ISKCON 3.0 idea? That's a great question, Nam. Um, So my generation being the second generation, um, people know a lot about the abuse. People know a lot about the baggage. People know a lot about the, the negativity, so to speak. I found a community of Guru Kulis who have, be, who have matured, who have learned to see past that. And I feel the real contribution that we bring 
is that for the upcoming 3.0 ISKCON society to have more love and compassion, we as Guru Coolies felt like we did not have um, the support of the adults. And in general, we kind of, we kind of uh, hooked together and and grew strong bonds. I'm not, this is a generalization. And through that love and caring for each other, no matter what we're going through, um, I think I've seen that um, appreciated by the older generation, as well as some new bhaktas who have come in. And even though Guru Kulis are a weird species, people usually see that they're full of love and compassion for each other. Mm -hmm. And devotees can have that level of love and compassion for each other where we care for each other no matter what. And there might be some judgment that goes on, but it's out of love and love and care is always given. And so I I think that's something that can be incorporated into this gone 3.0 for sure. Hmm. Awesome. Well, you seem to me like a pretty dedicated practitioner of spirituality, bhakti. Um, I want to talk about this idea of, you know, how does one track his or her spiritual development? Do you find it hard to track your own spirituality? Um, You know, specific to the Hare Krishna movement back in the day used to be how many books did you distribute or how many new devotees did you did you have join a temple? What are the metrics by which we can judge our spiritual growth and contribution based on your experience? Well, the spiritual journey is a very internal one. It's 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 difficult to have external metrics that kind of show you where you're at. I mean, there are some for sure. If I know somebody who's chanting 64 rounds of Japa a day, I'm going to say they're pretty elevated because (laughs) they're doing something consistently for a long period of time every day towards their Christian consciousness. Um, At the same time, just having a general level of, let's say, 16 rounds, which was the, the basic. I know plenty of or used to know plenty of people who are chanting 16 rounds, but don't seem very Christian conscious. And so now usually they stop chanting their 16 rounds. Uh, so I do have to say that the, the chanting of the rounds seems to be one consistent thing mm-hmm. externally that seems to show whether someone is serious or not about their bhakti, about their Christian consciousness. And I'm not saying the number in particular, just the consistency of doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in my experience, those who I've met who are sincere, there's some sort form of chanting going on on a consistent basis. So that's that's definitely a metric that I that I see. Mm-hmm. But I overall, because it's such an internal process, I think we have to look at our our uh, acharyas, our teachers, and you know, Rupa Goswami himself gives the chronology of reaching prema or pure love of God. And it starts with a um, few things. And I'm still at that, at those bottom levels. When I look at my life, I realize that I'm still at the, the lower levels. And then there's this one big level, in my opinion, that's 
called anartha nabriti or clearing out the dirty things from the heart. And I feel like I'm still there. There's a lot of dirty things to clean out. I mean, if I'm honest with myself, then that's the stage I'm at on my spiritual journey. I am, I'm doing a little bit of bhajana kriya, a little bit of not as much as I could. And that's probably why I'm still stuck at this stage is, but it's slowly becoming a more, um, something that I look forward to versus something that I have to do. It's becoming more of a spontaneous desire to want to be uh, uh, doing, thinking, actively serving in a way so that at the same time, I'm clearing out the dirty things from my heart because I'm realizing the, the more I can clear out, the happier I am. And, and so not just the happier, but then I start seeing that I'm more attached to um, Christian conscious things, Christian conscious topics, Christian conscious activities. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm still, I'm still at the bottom rungs. And, and I would say, if we're honest with ourselves, we've been given the, the roadmap. We've been actually given the roadmap by our teachers. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can kind of place ourselves where we're at in the, in, on the road. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're you're an integral part of uh, the New Raman Reti community, and as as I mentioned in the introduction, you've been involved in many projects, such as the Festival of the Holy Name, the Village of Vrindavan, and I would go as far as saying that you and the team you're a part of are probably one of the reasons why this community is world renowned. Despite the numerous successes that we've seen here at New Raman Reti, what are some other achievements that you would like to see for our community in say the next five to 10 years? Wow, Nam, caught me off guard on that one. I was about to talk about Fest of the Holy Name. Um, (laughs) What would I like to see in our community? Our community and, I, and, I, and I'll first say community, meaning the ISKCON global community. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an amazing family. I will say that, right, you know, right, right before I entered dental school, I went on a trip to Europe. And it was just me and two friends, two guru coolies. And we were able to stay at different devotees' houses or ISKCON temples all throughout Europe for the most part. And it was amazing to feel in, immediately go into a temple and immediately feel welcome, immediately feel like you had community, you had somebody to relate to, somebody you could talk to. I had that experience anyways. And that, that never left me that we are blessed to have such a global network and a global community. When I go out into the real world, I, I have staff members who, who don't know 100 people, let's say. Right. And I'll have a hundred people over at my house for a program easily and probably 200 people, you know, when we had Fest of the Holy Name and mm-hmm. I know each and every one of them, I know their kids, I know their parents, I know what they do. I know them pretty intimately. I've eaten at their house. I've, it's amazing. I know that many people and people don't even believe it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is over the next five years, if our community could and is, as it evolves, continue to grow together and, and, and appreciate what we have. Um, it, it's pretty amazing what we, what, you know, there's that Prabhupada built a house that we could all live in. And, 
And I, I, do, I do feel that, that the whole world can live in. Um, and and, and the, the example of that is the electoral community. The electoral community is so diverse, actually. We have so many, you could say, factions of ISKCON living here. And somehow right. they all coexist here in Alachua. Mm-hmm. Somehow we've all learned how to see past those little minute differences and continue right. to hire Krishna together and discuss philosophy together, even in a cordial way. Um, to me, that's, that's beautiful. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I want to see continue, I guess. Keep developing that. Great. Yeah. So I do, I, I do have to ask you about Festival of Holy Name. We, we don't have so much time, but just tell us, you know, just a little bit about this amazing program and, um, you know, you guys for the pandemic, you even, uh, were really smart in how to still have the festival. Tell us a little bit about uh, your experience as being part of that team and, uh, you know, what you consider a, a success through that program. Yeah. I mean, that, that festival is definitely, yeah, I see I'm wearing it on my shirt. It's definitely something <laughs> that I am so proud to be a part of and mainly because over the years the group of people that put it on are just so enlivening to work with like everybody on the team their their only goal is to satisfy the objectives that we're going for which are has to do with serving the devotees and chanting the holy name and there's no personal agenda there's no ego trips going on. I mean, we run into it and, 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 and we've resolved it over the 10, 11 years. And that's been a beautiful experience to grow together through our egos, through our anartas, our mm-hmm. unwanted things in our heart being cleared out. And so, um, no, I just feel blessed to be part of it. It's something that started out with just the vision of, oh man, all these Kirtan festivals are happening around the world. And we have half the Kirtaniers here. Why don't we just have a Kirtan festival here in Alachua? Uh-huh. Uh, and that's basically how it transpired. And to, to hear um, my daughter's generation uh, grow up and talk about how the Festival of Holy Name was everything to them growing up spiritually, it's, it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. amazing to hear. And what about, um, I mean, during the pandemic, you, you weren't able to hold the because this is a, a three-day festival usually, right? It happens once right. a year around Thanksgiving. And uh, you even have pre-festival days leading up to it. So altogether, it's like a whole week of chanting. Yeah. And I mean, people come from all over to this festival. So how did you guys manage to still hold the festival recently during the pandemic? Well, with, with, um, with a lot of humility, we had to... Uh, but there was a, desi- there was a desire to... Um, still bring people together in a safe way, in a safe way, and um, call out, you know, kirtan means calling out the name of God, calling it all out. And if we're doing it in unison, it's, you feel it. We feel it, but beyond that, we we know based on what we've learned that that God's hearing us. And um, we knew there was a need for it, especially during a pandemic. I mean, what other time is there a need to call out and, and really ask for help would right. be now? And so, you know, we tried to do it at the temple for one day, one live event. We were doing a lot of um, smaller events at my house. And uh, luckily, there were enough kirtaniers or people who are 
Kirtan experts in our community who, who are grounded and can't go anywhere. So they're excited about being part of the festival in some way. But what was interesting is right before our actual one day live events, I actually got COVID. And so, um, you know, it was banned from being at the temple because the authorities didn't want any of it spread over there. And it was at my house. So I had to actually stay inside my house, quarantine while everything was happening outside my house on my property. But I still got to serve the devotees and people stayed six feet apart. They were wearing masks. To my knowledge, nobody got, um, you know, we don't know for sure, but we were pretty strict during that festival at Thanksgiving time. And I don't think there was any spread of the virus during that time. But what I'm referring to is this incredible worldwide online festival that was that my wife's idea. that was okay well that was amazing that I was mean, amazing just she had this hundreds. vision yeah she had this vision of doing this kirtan festival and we were all kind of looking at her as festival holy name team trying to figure out what she's intending and we tried two different things and we finally got something going and all of a sudden there was like 24 7 kirtan for two weeks that was not planned. It really was not planned. It was, we mm-hmm. thought we would get, um, you know, a few kirtaneers from around the world, mainly in the United States. We ended up getting, I think it was over a hundred countries participated. We had kirtan streaming from all around the globe, 24 hours a day for two weeks straight. And it, it was actually awesome. I mean, yeah. we were in the spiritual vortex at the time. There was a lot of dirty things being cleared out of the heart. Believe me. <laughs> and it, it was it was awesome to to be able to serve to our extreme and see something come out way bigger than we would have imagined. It was it was all the holy name and Krishna and my wife. It was amazing. Yeah. And if people want to go and watch some of those kirtans, what's the what's the Facebook page for them to check oh, them out? Oh, to get me on that. It's still I, out there. I'm such a not social media guy, but. Or was it uh, Festival of the Holy Name Pandemic? Yeah, Festival of the Holy Name. Or, no, I'm sorry. Alachua Kirtan. If you go to alachuakirtan.com, we have a lot of audio recordings. And then there's a Facebook page associated with it. Yeah. All right. People can find it. All right. Well, we're, we're getting close to uh, our hour, but I, I just want to cover one more thing, Gora. <laughs> and that is your amazing positive energy that you have wherever you see you're you know where, wherever you we see you you're like a cheerleader with all those that you meet and um, I'm sure that's why you're often asked to MC live events you have this great energy and um, I think you're very much appreciated for this quality where well, does this you. come from well you know when Prahlad Maharaj was asked from his father where do you get your power from <laughs> from God. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Nam, where, where I get it. I, I, it's just a combination of, I think, growing up in Gurukul, Gurukul meaning boarding school and just being around groups of boys all the time and, and just wanting to be the, the happy one in the group, wanting to keep everybody happy, not fighting, joyful doing things together it just felt more energetic more mm. fun that way uh so i would say it starts with that and i've, I've worked on it over the years I, I gotta be honest i'm i'm actually an introvert uh by nature 
And I, and I force myself to kind of come out and do that because it's, it's more fun. <laughs> so are you naturally like that? Or is it something that you kind of like force yourself as a kind of like an active? Well, I mean, I force myself in, in the way of like affirmations or telling myself uh, to just be positive. So yeah, in that right. way, I force myself. It doesn't, it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally uh, most of the time. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, doing it for so many years, it's starting to come, come naturally for sure. Right? <laughs> is there anything that makes you sad or upset, Goro? Oh, I mean, what no. does that Goro look like? Tell us. Later <laughs> <laughs> football games. No, I'm just <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, uh, definitely. Okay. I, talk, talk to my wife and my kids sometime, uh, or, or my staff members. I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Gora, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for um, taking the time with us this evening. Questions or comments? Gora Shakti, I, I so appreciate your thoughtfulness, authenticity, and reflections on your own life and the moment as a whole. So, Thank you, Mr. Kaley. <laughs> and on a personal note, uh, Mother Loka Sakshini, uh, said that you are so fortunate to have um, Mother Sunita as your mother. It's funny, when you said Mother Lokashakshini, my first reaction was one of my many mothers. Yes. So thank you, Mother Loka. Always appreciate talking with you, man. Yeah, so we're going to wrap it up, but um, Krishna Dhamma said she was going to photobomb you. This is your, this is your moment, Katie. Is she around? <laughs> <laughs> she actually copped out, man. She actually copped she out when I told her. Okay. Well, yeah, she said, oh, no, right. this, we, is we, we, this is not me. <laughs> but we still, we, we can't end without acknowledging your wonderful spouse, Krishna Dhamma. Tell us a little bit about her and your relationship. Yeah, I mean, as, as I was talking with Nam in the pre-interviews, or I realized that I wouldn't be here without my wife. So I, I have to mention her. I mean... We met when I was 16, she was 15. We've been together ever since. So we've been on this journey together. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just so appreciative that, uh, well, there you go, that she's brought these deities into my life, Nitai Gora mm -hmm. Chandra. And um, she continues to challenge me spiritually and, and invoke a, a more, a deeper sincerity for my practice. Mm -hmm. And she continues to support me uh, in so many ways that, uh, I I'm very grateful. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And, um, I want to thank you again, Gaur Shakti for joining us here on Nectar Talks. It was a, a real pleasure. Thank you everybody who are here with us live. And, uh, of course you can watch the interview or listen to it after the fact on our different, uh, platforms. Our next interview will be with, uh, Vrinda Sheth next month. So we look forward to that and uh, we'll see you all soon. Hare Krishna. Hare Haribo.
Hare.